Look, it's a Friedman Friday. We're talking reparations, and you're invited into the conversation. 800-920-1580. 800-920-1580. Pleased to have on the mic with me this morning a civil and human rights attorney. She's a scholar, activist. She's an author, president of the Reparation Education Project and the Taifa Group, but also a founding member of the National Coalition of Blacks for Reparations in America and inaugural commissioner for the National African American Reparations Commission um, and a mem- author of a bestseller memoir, Black Power, Black Lawyer, My Audacious Quest for Justice. Uh, Attorney uh, Nakichi Taifa, welcome back. Uh, my sister Dominique, I'm always glad to be with you. How are you? And I'm also the author of the newly published book, Reparations on Fire, How and Why It's Spreading Across America. <laughs> well said. Uh, you know, you're an attorney, right? And so much of the conversation about what can and cannot happen in terms of reparations is a legal conversation. Um and so I want to talk a little bit about that, you know, the, the idea that, because as we've been having these conversations about reparations, certain things come up over and over again um, about what is legal and what's not legal, what's going to pass muster and what will be overturned. And we, of course, have an extreme court now. We know that uh, they just overturned affirmative action. And some are making the argument that that means that it's highly likely that even if we did get, uh, you know, an HR 40 or something similar to what happened in California, or sk- even skipped over that step and w- went right to uh, reparations legislation, that it would be struck down eventually because it is race based. Um, what are your thoughts on that? Okay, so let me just say this: one of the reasons why a lot of the movement shifted to the um, policy arena, the legislative arena, as opposed to the litigative uh, arena early on, like 30 years ago, was uh, precisely because we saw the handwriting on the wall with respect to the courts, the Supreme Court, uh, and the like. In fact, um, there were cases that were uh, in the court, and at that time, um, uh, 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 initiatives were struck down on um, um, statute of limitations grounds, latches grounds, you know, and the like. So what we decided um, early on, those who were part of the movement at that time, was to put energy into uh, the legislative arena. In fact, what was said in the courts was that it was uh, not a a legal issue, but it was a political issue, okay? Um, Now, nothing is, um, things change all the time. Let me just put it like that. And we know the composition um, of the court, and a lot of that has to do with who put who on the court, who is elected to put who on the court. So right. all those issues are so very, um, um, are so very uh, relevant. But we need to understand that when we try to circumvent what we think is going to be uh, the situation, many times we don't realize that they're going to do what they want to do. They're going to do what they feel that they need to do to stay in power and stay in dominion. So while we might think that using certain standards would take us out from under uh, the strictures of um, um, issues dealing with race, faith, and the like, 
when you get into the nitty-gritty, when you deal with the legal arguments and all, all the, what they're going to say is that, well, lineage race, well, you're really talking about race uh, as well. And you're going to be back at square one again. That's why I know when I was coming up in law school and all, and afterwards, I would say, we really need creative ways to deal with the reality of this uh, country that we live in, which shifts standards all of the time, okay, and not get caught up into pigeonholing our all, our everything, into one specific strain, you know, I guess you could say. Um, I know what the situation, the laws in California are um, uh, a little even more severe than the, the way the federal laws are now. Our um, newest Supreme Court um, justice, our wonderful um, African-American uh, sister, um, has spoken on this issue uh, as well. And it said, well, when you talk about slavery and enslavement, you are talking about race. So no matter what kind of way you speak to color it, or shall we say uncolor it, okay, <laughs> that is what the bottom line um, is. So I, I, I'm not so um, end all with respect to that, but those are just some of my uh, personal views with a long view of over 30 to 40 years of um, looking at uh, the situation. Yeah, let's let's long view let's long view back a little bit. I posted something on X, a uh, picture of uh, Dick Gregory, rest in peace, because that's the first person I used to talk to about reparations on the radio back in the nineties. Uh, we would talk yeah. about it, and so talk to me about how you first got involved in this and your understanding. I mean, other than going all the way back to Miss House, <laughs> right? Um, the sort of modern era. Uh, of reparations, how you see its oh, genesis. Okay, yes. Well, I would say the modern era of um, reparations, um, I can say to Queen Mother Artley Moore, um, who was um, a protege of Marcus Garvey back in the 1920s. Um, but in the 50s and 60s, he actually went to the uh, United Nations calling for reparations. Queen Mother Moore was um, um, essential in uh, elevating the issue of reparations among just about every single movement that was going on in the 60s and 70s, whether you're talking about the Black Panthers, Republic of New Africa, she was very instrumental with what was going on in South Africa, um, uh, you, you know, in spreading the issue of uh, reparations all up until her death in 1997. I was honored to sit at her feet, learn from her, honored to sit at the feet of persons such as uh, Imario Bodelli from the Republic of New Africa, and I must unapologetically state that. I want to make sure that it's abundantly clear that the issue of reparations in the modern era of what the, 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 the progeny of the radical revolutionary left, okay, um, the, the movements that um, um, moved and grooved me, I guess you could say, the Republic of New Africa that said we claim no rights from the United States other than those rights um, uh, emanating to oppress people wherever we may be in the, the world. And these include the right to damages, reparations, do us. The Black Panther Party, point number three, talking about 40 acres and where they talked about two mules. I'm not quite sure where the two uh, came from. But even the civil rights um, movement, James Foreman from um, Student National Coordinating Committee, um, interrupted Sunday service in 1968 at Riverside Church in New York, 
calling on churches and synagogues to pay up reparations. And believe it or not, some of them did pay into some type of a, uh, um, a fund. So the modern era, reparations have always been on the platform of any of the, the, the I would say, more of the left, radical black organizations, 10-point um, programs. But it was only until... 1987, the founding of the National Coalition of Black Reparations in America, that the issue became much more broadly uh, mainstream, I guess you could say. And Dominique, I would say that the founding of Incova existed in the perfect storm. Why do I say that? Because the Black Power movement was open and receptive to a broad-based approach to advance the issue of reparations. The Black activist legal community in the form of the National Conference of Black Lawyers, which I was a member at the time, um, largely sanctioned the, the, the black nationalist effort, and we were all invigorated by the movement of the Civil Liberties Act in Congress, which would become law in 1988, which granted reparations to Japanese Americans. So it was in the throes of this very fertile environment that the organization uh, in COBRA uh, picked up the long-standing mantle of justice. It reinvigorated the demand for reparations for the descendants of Africans enslaved in the United States. It broadened the concept through massive public um, education, uh, accompanied with legislative and litigative-based um, initiatives. So this was all before the 20th uh, century. Um, there were organizations such as the African People's Socialist Party. They had the African National Reparations Organization, which actually preceded INCOBRA and held reparations tribunals, um, uh, you know, throughout the, the country. Um, yeah, so it's longstanding. I've been involved since the beginning. I've been the um, subject of very rare attacks because of my associations with INCOBRA and its families, my association with um, um, NARC. But the history needs to be put out there in terms of where the genesis from the momentum that we see today emanated from. And just as the momentum emanated from uh, the Encobras, Encobras stood on the shoulders of everything that came before that, which we won't get into, the Cali Houses and the uh, Isaiah Dickinson's and the um, um, Belinda Royales and the Ida B. Wells and all, all of that momentum. A lot, a lot to unpack in what you just said right there, Attorney Nkichi Taifa, not the least of which, it's interesting that you say the reparations conversation came into the mainstream in 1987, because I feel like it's come into the mainstream just in the past few years. I want to look at why you say that uh, and some of the, um, you say, you know, that you've come under attack. So not just, not really the attacks, but these different, lines or different factions that we uh, that we see today um, and more legal exploration plus you're invited in 800-920-1580 get in this it is meant to be a comprehensive reparations conversations all comers welcome 800-920-1580 we are kbla talk 1580 more of first things first with dominique DePrima when we come forward the conversation continues right now, right now, right now with right now. Dominique DePrima on First Things First. It does, and we're talking with a founding member of Incobra, an author, um, 
in Kichi Taifa attorney, I should say also. So a lot of people uh, have this conversation, you know, about um, the legalities. And you kind of said that they, and I, I'm assuming you mean the courts and the government are going to do what they do. Uh, one of the conversation which pieces, which seems to also denote different factions within this movement, is about um, terminology. You know, some people say that if we call ourselves black, that invites everybody in the world uh, in to receive reparations that are due black Americans. Some people say uh, we need to be American descendants of slaves. Others say freedmen. Some uh, say Negro, that because Negro is the terminology that's used in a lot of those, you know, a field, a special field order 15 and such, that it needs to be that in order to have legal standing. Um, how do you feel about that conversation? Uh, I, I'm, I'm leaving out a couple of terms, I, I'm sure. Um, but right. you know what I'm talking about. Yeah, okay. So first, let me just respond to one thing you said just before the break about the mainstreaming. I want to clarify that. Um, when I say that the um, reparations movement became mainstreamed or started possibly being mainstreamed in 1987 with the founding of Cobra. What I was speaking of was that it was squarely within the revolutionary fringe, five states in the deep south, I mean, ABC, one, two, three. So when I use mainstream in that connotation, I'm saying it's reaching out more to the black professionals, the lawyers, the psychologists, the psychiatrists, you know. Right, uh, okay, I, I see what you're saying. In, 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 moving outside of a radical sort of, um, left community yeah. into sort of the mainstream of black thought. That's what you're talking yeah, about. Yeah, okay. that's, that's, that's what I was talking about. So then, again, since, again, since 2020, that's when it's become more kitchen tabletop conversation amongst um, society as a whole. Well, I have white interns at the organization I used to work with talking about Tanahasi Coates article in the Atlantic um, magazine talking about the issue of, of reparations. So that this, at that point, it began moving into a whole different um, era. Right. Uh, okay, so dealing with language and terminology, it's kind of funny. I kind of laugh a little bit because I'm marrying these two things, i.e. the revolutionary fringe from which I emanated to the realities <laughs> of what's going on today. Again, it's no secret, my um, uh, revolutionary my background is from the revolutionary branch, where we called ourselves new Africans, okay? We called ourselves a branch, a new branch of the African um, um, population on this side of the Atlantic Ocean with our own unique um, history and culture, ABC 123, okay? But what we did not do was mandate that everyone had to accept that terminology. What we actually said was that there should be a plebiscite, a national plebiscite, probably supervised by the United Nations, wherein black people as a whole determined what they what we want to call ourselves. Okay, you know what I'm saying? As opposed to um, this sua sponte and unilaterally saying we are right, we are correct, which I really felt that we were. Okay. But we are right and we are correct. And this should be the um, the terminology, the definition, the philosophy, etc., cetera, uh, etc. Cetera. So we did not do that, okay. And in fact, in order to mainstream uh, 
um, even some of mainstream black people, professional black organizations, civil rights organizations alike, we knew it would be the death knell of the issue to do that. So we sublimated, we, we put under the cover, I guess, our revolutionary politics and rhetoric to allow a much broader field, a much broader tent to feel comfortable even just uttering the word reparations. And I might add, back then, during that time, there was no people from the continent of Africa or from the Caribbean saying, I want to take your reparations. That, in fact, it's just so, when I hear all of this um, talk today in this quote-unquote supposed fear today, I still don't hear that from other parts of the African family who happen to reside uh, in this country now. But be that as it might, let's move on up to to uh, today, there is a tendency to, um, um, I'm, I'm going to use the word, Dominique, and I know you have folks on your show, and I know you're probably going to get a lot of calls, because, you know, there's a lot of bullying, B-U-L-L-Y-I-N-G, because I know my words don't always, there's a lot of bullying going on in the reparations movement. And a lot of it is over language issues. Right, okay? right, right. Which And, and it looks like we may get another Freedmen's Bureau here in in uh, in in California. I mean, uh, Senator Steve Bradford has put forth, you yeah. know, a bill to create a Freedmen's Bureau here in California to handle uh, the California reparations, uh, whatever you know progress we're able to make there. But I, I mean, I, I understand what you're saying about bullying. I've yeah. seen it. I've seen it on X. I've seen it. <laughs> I've seen it on these airwaves, and uh, Ben Frank in the chat uh, tells me B1, FBA, ADOS, uh, terms I may not, I thought I said ADOS, but whatever. Um, and there's more, yeah, yeah. right? There are more. But the point is, I'm not talking so much about the organizational or philosophical struggle. I'm talking about the legal piece. And, you know, like uh, Rasheed Littlejohn, who was on this, our, our first episode of the Freedman Friday, said, if we don't use the term Negro, we don't, we're not a distinct class of people. That that, that argument is based on lineage saying, okay, this wouldn't be a race-based policy. It would be based on your connection to uh, this this crime and also this debt, this actually specific um obligation or deal if you want to use a special order 15 as as the basis of it a deal a promise that was made to uh black americans yeah so i don't look at special field order uh 15 it's there we quote it all the time we talk about it but i look at the 13th amendment and the 13th amendment said that um all Persons born or naturalized in the United States are citizens of the United States and the state of which they reside. We're going to leave aside that ridiculous prison slavery clause in the 13th Amendment right now. But what did that do? 
that left black people with our human rights to freedom officially recognized by the United States government. That did not say we're going to recognize your freedom and you must be called um, African-American. It didn't say we must, we're going to recognize your freedom you must be called African-American descendants of slavery. It didn't say we're going to recognize your freedom and you must be called a freeman. It just recognized our freedom. So what did that mean? That means it was up to us as a project, project of the human rights to self-determination because we were under auspices of international law at that time to determine for ourselves at that point in time what we wanted to be called. Not what we were called before N-I-G-G-E-R or whatever it is when we were called before, but what we decide we want going forward. So that's why I don't put um, my end all into whatever terminology there were prior to that. Um, um, time. We even post that time because, excuse me, my, my bad. Um, Freeman's Bureau probably, I think, came during Reconstruction time, which was right. uh, after the 13th Amendment. So I, I apologize for that mistake. mistake. But we have the right to self-determination, determine what we want. It's not for, I'm just going to say it, it's not for Jesse Jackson to say in whatever year that was, you're going to be called African-American. Okay? I mean, everybody didn't agree with that. It was not the result of uh, uh, an official plebiscite of decision of all the people. Just like American descendants of slavery terminology today is not the result of um, a, a, a plebiscite, uh, uh, you know, with respect to black people. And no, I don't feel that we will be obliterated of our claims if we don't call ourselves Negroes or freedmen or Right, so so you reject the idea that there yeah. that there's a legal gravitas to those words that makes it more likely that we would win uh, and be able to uh, sustain reparation Correct. in the legal system. You you reject that Absolutely. argument. Correct. Okay. Correct. Any lawyer worth this thought would be able to dispose of of that in any type of legal proceedings. Got a minute here before news, traffic, and sports. Um, you say, you know, you talked about bullying. You said you've been subject to some stuff just because you're associated with Encobra. Um, well, not only that, Dominique, people didn't even know who I was on, 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 on social media just because of my name. My name was the name I adopted plucked it out of Afghanistan's book when I was 16, don't even pronounce it the way it should be pronounced because that's part of the harm. Our language and our culture um, has been snatched from us. But just by the fact that my name was Afghan name, I was demonized all throughout social media. These people didn't even know who I was. It was just, it, it was nonsensical, the level of, of I don't know, well, it's ahistorical, right? Because or or yeah. or unresearched because folks didn't didn't yeah. I mean, I understand that when we come forward after news, traffic, and sports, maybe we can look at that. Why is the reparations movement now today? Um, why is there a battle between Pan Africanism and 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 the uh, and the quest for reparations um, and you know, and also, what is working? I mean, I, I want to make sure we also do everything we can to keep this momentum going. How do we do that? It's KBLA Talk 1580. Say the quiet part out loud. KBLA Talk 1580. 
We're not for everybody, but we're for everybody. You're listening to KBLA Talk 1580. We're talking with attorney Nikichi Taifa. The show is Friedman Friday. We do this every single Friday now uh, in the second hour of the show. And you are always invited into the chat at youtube.com, KBLA 1580, or onto the phone, 800-920-1580, 800-920-1580. Molly Bell is calling us from the city of Compton. Good morning, Molly Bell. Reparations in memory of our ancestors. God bless morning, Dominique, and to our guests, uh, Sister Taishi. Am I saying her correct? Taifa. Taifa, Sister Taifa. Glad to have you on. And to the uh, reparations uh, to the KBLA delegation and, of course, the chat room and all that are there. Uh, the beginning of this week, uh, uh, Sister Taifa, um, there... Uh, one of our, uh, Miles Lowe, he does a lot of music for K- uh, KBLA, and he's a musician himself. And one of the wor- one of the songs that he played, it says, he said, I never gave up on myself, and don't you give up on yourself. We have, we have got to never give up on ourselves. I love In Cobra. I learned about it. I'm 76 years old, and I was a young girl. When I first heard of uh, Younger, when I first heard of Encobra, and uh, may may I just say I love Encobra simply because I just love the way that it is built, Dominique. Encobra, the uh, the symbol, uh, the, the the link in the chain, and you know, Mister People, we would always say, "I'm a link in the chain, and the chain will not be broken by me." And then there's the snake climbing a palm tree, performing something that's unusual and impossible. That's us. And then there's the word that says, God, there's something in heaven. Let's reach it, the symbol of hope. And I'm just saying that for us, we, we filed this with the um, Library of Congress. It says, what is reparation? Reparation is repair. What is repair? Whatever. Whatever it takes to make us whole. That might be money. It might be land. It might be no taxes. It might be uh, a grant. Whatever it takes to make us whole, that's what we want. And we say, how do we know what we hold? We know what the Constitution said about three-fifths of a person. I know they meant it like in just county, but that's the term that they used for us, that we were three-fifths. And finally, we say that uh, who should get reparation? Descendants, Dobas, descendants of black African slaves. And I've met so many of the women back in the day who were part of the reparation movement. And I'm asking you, hold on, be strong. We've got to find better ways to come together. New folks are coming up, and that's okay. That's okay. Snakes have new babies. So new babies are climbing <laughs> up a snakes are new babies are climbing up the, the palm tree. We have a lot to go on. This is something important. I appreciate you being on on Freeman Friday. And don't let nobody turn you around. Don't nobody say in Cobra is old or something else because I, I've been married a couple of times, and I go by all those names, and I answer to them. <laughs> so we as black folks, we have got to let nobody, don't give up on yourself and don't give up on me. My only question to you is 
What do you think that we need to do to unify all the different reparation groups so that we could stand as a mighty force, a, 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 a rope tied together? I'll listen to your comments off the air, and I always close like this. All you prayer warriors out there, you know what you've got to do. You've got to keep fasting. You've got to keep praying because the struggle continues. But always, to God be the glory. Thank you, Dominique. She's thank you, oh Molly Bell. I love her. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so can my I provide an answer to her? Absolutely, her yes. Uh-huh. Uh, okay, because it also ties into what you asked before the break, just what are we doing that is uh, working? And first of all, I love her uh, thing dealing with prayer warriors. We need a whole lot of that right now. But one of the things I think we need, we all need to put our egos up there on the shelf. <laughs> put our egos up there on the shelf so that we can really sit down and civilize people and have true, honest conversation. And I would like to use this opportunity on your show uh, this morning, KBLA, to proffer something that I've not really talked much publicly about, even though it is in my book, Reparations on Fire, How and Why You're Spreading Across America. And maybe it might be a compromise to this whole issue of who uh, is eligible, who is not eligible, et cetera, et cetera. And let, let me just take a, a, a moment. It, it, what I advanced in my book was what I, it, a two-pronged approach. This is Nikiki Taifa talking. It's not in Cobra. It's not NARC. It's not even my organization, Reparation Education Project. This was me without the benefit of any discussion or sit down. But I think it's time for that. And what I said was, I, 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 this was just, I just put it in the book. I said, all people recorded as black in the 1970 census, the first after passage of the Civil Rights Act of 64 and the 65 Voting Rights Act, when the most egregious racially discriminatory laws were ostensibly eradicated, all people in that census and their descendants will be eligible for direct, i.e. cash, reparations payments in the U.S., an amount determined by an official commission or task force or whatever developing reparations um, proposals. I said that such period encompasses the enslavement and Jim Crow apartheid areas, errors with their attendant health, wealth, education, cultural, and punishment atrocities, as well as the obliteration of the right to self-determination of a political future. That was the first form. The second form was all blacks, including those described above, meaning those from the 1970 census and their descendants, um, uh, as well as those entered into the U.S. census after 1970, will be eligible for community group collective reparations in whatever form or forms were determined by whatever official commission that there is. And this will be in recognition of the continuing harm, living legacies, and new manifestations emanating from enslavement and Jim Crow, and also including the era of mass incarceration, which manifested post-1965. Now, why did I call that a compromise? It's because there seems to be this whole coup over folk who have just come to this um, country and whatever they might feel or might not feel about black folk who have been here and who can trace their ancestry and all like that. But to me, it fixes that main issue that I have about... Um, um, proof, the requirement of proof um, of ancestry, the, what's in the California uh, bill, the eligibility is uh, limited to those 
who can prove ancestry back to free or enslaved people living in California prior to the end of the 19th century. There's a whole panoply of issues, in my humble opinion, to that. But if you extend it to 1970, which is long before the huge influx of quote-unquote immigrants, I just call them different parts of the African family who are coming together, but long before that time, um, without having any type of proof, just as you're on that census, you should be able to uh, uh, um, um, uh, qualify. And then anyone after that census would be um, uh, afforded whatever the community uh, policies and procedures or whatever those other types of repertory justice um, measures that could become part of a package. So anyway, um, I, I just said this is the first time I've really said this um, publicly other than what's in my um, book, but it, it's a basis for discussion. In my humble opinion, I feel that straddles both sides of the of this huge argument about eligibility. Right. So when we talk about lineage, that is that that is the requirement that uh, the California task force made. They say that they made that decision based on uh, the idea that it would be league. It would be able to hold up legally. Uh, get your thoughts on that, that otherwise it would be considered a race based policy. And, but also there's this, there is an anti-immigrant um, sentiment in, in a lot of the uh, younger generation of, of reparations activists. So to me, those are two related, but separate issues. Um, part of my concern about the lineage model um, is based on what I call the welfareization of reparations, which is let me see your ID, uh, get in this line. Um, it's not, I don't think, and, and, I, and you can correct me um, when we come forward if, if this is not true of you. It's not because I want to hand out reparation to everybody in the world uh, that's, you know, not a, dis not a descendant of enslaved um, Africans in the United States or black people or... FBA or whatever y'all want to call it, um, my ancestors here in the United States. It's because I don't, to me, I would hate to see reparation turn into food stamps where we're dealing with a bunch of humiliation and paperwork and the people that need it the most, the unhoused, um, folks that don't have those resources may end up getting left behind. That's my concern, uh, but we'll continue to address those. But I think part of what's happened is that people... Um, there is, you know, conf a conflating of these issues. Look at that when we come forward and also get these, the question. Molly Bell's question is also my question. What is working? What um, operational unity do we have? What ought we be doing to continue to move the ball forward? It's KBLA Talk 1580. She's reclaiming her time on KBLA Talk 1580. More First Things First with Dominique DePrima when we come forward. Only one. Your ancestors' favorite radio station, radio station, and your favorite morning show host. Let's get back to Dominique DePrima right now. Right, right now. now, next hour, Courtney B. Vance and Dr. Robin L. Smith, a.k.a. Dr. Robin, uh, will be on talking about the invisible ache, black men identifying their pain and reclaiming their power. It's a new book out now, and we'll... We'll go kind of deep with that. Right now, though, we're talking with attorney uh, Nakichi Taifa, who's a founding, a co-founding member of Encobra and an author, uh, among other things, a longtime uh, reparations activist. Her book, Reparations on Fire, Why and How It's Spreading Across uh, America, I guess. Um, 
and you can get that wherever you get your books, um, including Amazon. Attorney Taifa, you know, <laughs> I want to let you pick up where you left off because the the chat is on fire with these conversations uh, regarding, you know, lineage. And I, I like I, I stated my concern about it, but um, people have concerns. You know, there's only so much money to go around. Anyone can say that they're black. Anyone can say they're enslaved, even if they're not black. If we just say it's based on you know be, being the descendants of slaves and whatever the um, you know whatever the organization, they have a different solution and a different argument. Um, so explain that to me, like in terms of from your perspective, when you say lineage, um, and, and why you think you know when you say well Pan African, you know. Why doesn't that just open the doors to everybody? So I don't say lineage. I don't say pan African. I mean, you know, I guess my, um, we, we have always been a people that was inclusive of everybody that's part of our uh, family. All over the diaspora, they all just depended on where they dropped us off at. Right. You know, we you go somewhere, we look the exact same. It's only when we start opening our mouths and we're speaking the particular colonizer's tongue <laughs> that we know what our, that particular history is. Because our claim does not limit itself to the enslavement era before its living legacies that last down right. through to today, that is why we don't pigeonhole it solely within the enslavement. Uh, right, because it encompasses Jim Crow and other harms, right? Jim Crow, apartheid, and even down through to the, the lingering, the, 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 the manifestations where you connect the dots back. That right. are Medical today. apartheid and all those, yeah. We keep asking about, what are we doing that's working? And I want to say, what you are doing with your show, KBLA, I'm on the East Coast, you're on the West Coast, what you are doing is part of what's working. You are bringing different sides of the... Uh, 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 of the issue of the conversation to a much larger public audience. I can't see the chat from where I am at. I'm on my phone. Maybe if I, I'm scared to press any buttons because I yeah, might lose Don't, don't disconnect us, right? I can just imagine that the chat is on fire because I've been in chat before uh, where I've spoken. That has been um, very much on fire. But to provide a mechanism such as this, such as your Freedom Fridays or your Freedmen, excuse me, well, I think I like Freedom Friday. <laughs> Whatever works for you. <laughs> um, when you bring in perspectives that you know are going to be um, controversial or that you know are going to be um, uh, uh, against some of the thinkings of some of the other people that you bring on board, that's part of what's working because we need more of that. Okay. I personally, I'm going to be honest, I don't like debate. Really don't. But maybe we need to put both of us on at the same time. I don't want it to be in vain. It must be respectful. And that's what has been missing. That is what has not been working because the conversation from various elements has not been respectful. And so when you, this is not respect, it's hard to come to a meeting of the mind um, on very pertinent issues. So when they say that there's an African proverb that says, when two elements fight, it's the grass that gets hurt. Mm. Talking with attorney uh, Nakichi Taifa, when we come forward, uh, you know, I'm going to really just hand the mic to her. I have so many questions we didn't get to. We'll do it another day. Friedman Friday is every Friday, but I want to 
have a closing argument, a closing statement <laughs> from attorney and author uh, Taifa when we come forward only on KBLA Talk 1580. This is KBLA Talk 1580, where everybody is somebody and nobody is a stranger. You belong here. You do, and we're glad you're here. Attorney uh, Nikichi Taifa is my guest today on this Freedman Friday. Reparations on Fire, How and Why It's Spreading Across America is her book. It is out right now. What do you want to leave us with your closing arguments this morning, <laughs> Attorney Taifa? <laughs> yes, what I would like to leave your audience with is that what I've learned from my work in the reparations movement over five decades of serious hard work is this, that You must believe in what you do with all your heart and soul on good days and and bad days, when you're laughed at, when you're taken seriously, uh, uh, when you are ostracized or whether you are embraced, whether you are inside or outside, because we are history in the making. And that history is equal parts. It's edgy, it's exciting, it's transformational, it's confrontational, it's messy, it's confusing. But we are beyond rhetoric now. We are well into action uh, mode. And I'm just glad that I'm around to see this into fruition because what we are doing now, Dominique, will either create or destroy the dreams of our ancestors and um, what we might want to need to accomplish in the future. Mm. It's well said and also succinct. We got <laughs> we still have a couple minutes left. Um, so let's let's give out your contact, you know, what, what you want to give out or the contact yes. for the organization. Yes, yes, thank you. You can reach the Reparation Education Project, www.reparationeducationproject.org, and that's the reparation without the F. I also did a TEDx talk on reparations called Reparations, an issue whose time has come. You just Google my name, Nikichi Taifa, and TED Talk, and that will um, come up, and it's a, basically a history of the issue from a personal uh, flavor. I love that. Um, and, you know... I feel like the um, we talk about whatever it is, operational unity or you know, principled yeah, and unity without uniformity. Right. Unity without uniformity. I mean, you know, we can unite without singing the same song, but we need to be in tune. <laughs> yeah, we need to be in tune. Unity without uniformity, disagree without disrespect, but also, I mean, yeah. there is. There are going to be political differences. There are political differences in every movement. I think they're more extreme here because you have some, you know, MAGA folks and, as you say, some radical movement folks that both say they want reparations. Is it possible for people that are that ideologically distant to uh, coalesce around such an important issue of common uh, interest? I think there is, and I think it is. It, it lies in those terms that we were just saying, disagreement without disrespect, unity without uh, uniformity. We need to just come together as a family and recognize that we are a family, okay? And um, for the greater good, for our descendants who come after us, we need to get this thing together. And, and also, yeah, and policy um, over party, yeah. too. I mean, I, I really think that's super uh, important for black people because... Right now, we're getting so polarized. Supposedly, 22% of us are going to vote for Trump in five states, which may or may not be true. But but if it, when it comes to repair, restitution, and what is justice for black Americans, and, you know, and black people, wherever they are, that we didn't get to that. 
that's another show for another day. I think, you know, we have to get past labels and get to results. Yes, I agree with that 100%, getting past labels and getting to results. I'm confident that we will find a way to decolonize our minds uh, so that we can stand on one united front on this uh, issue. We're in a situation where in, um, it can slip away from us very, very easy. We are hitting down. I'm not even going to talk about the word fascism, but we're, we're, we're seeing rolling through some yeah. um, things that we might not want to actually see manifest in the future, and so we need to get ourselves together. Uh, Attorney Taifa, thank you so much. As always, uh, we are talking the invisible ache when we come forward. KBLA Talk 1580.